Welcome to the very first episode of the Tech Chaps, the podcast for conversational tech news, reviews, and happenings according to the real world. We're your hosts, Justin and Ben. Today, we talk about phone trends, hardware news, Microsoft Viva, MSP news, and more. Thanks for joining us today. With this being episode number one, I want to take a minute and introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Justin. I've spent past 15 years or so working in the tech field from consulting and contracting to enterprise IT, uh, father, husband, and tech geek. And I'm Ben. In my younger years, uh, I spent a lot of time on YouTube making tech content, uh, but for the last nine or so, I've been in the MSP and corporate IT space. I'm also a father to one little boy, husband, and can't get enough tech. All right. So let's just jump right into it. Folding phones, all the craze, all the manufacturers seem to have them now, and everybody has a different take on it. Now, Ben, you and I both have had some time with different manufacturers' takes on them mm-hmm. uh, and know of some you know, other people that have actually uh, purchased and used um, some of these other devices that we might not have had our, our hands directly on. So uh, what is your favorite foldable today? Well, I, I'd say the my favorite one, uh, I guess the one I was most excited for was the Razer, kind of the comeback with that, bringing back an iconic brand and, and trying to make it into something accessible for everybody nowadays, rather than trying to force them into this, you know, novelty. Um, but um, uh, fortunately, I think at this point, it's just a little bit too new in the development cycle for everybody to kind of hop on board and for it to get the popularity it had before. Yeah, and I'll agree with you there too. The the razor, so I didn't get hands on with the first gen razor. Foldables, as new as they are, what uh, were on second gen for some companies. So mm-hmm. the second gen razor, that uh, the five G mm-hmm. model, um, I had hands on as well. Um, and the nostalgia, right? It hits you right in the face as soon as you hold on to that. You expect something out of this device that you hold in your hand because you've already felt like you've had that connection with the device, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just opening up and uh, getting it powered on. And, you know, first of all, being just kind of taken back by the fact that the screen is folding, because this was the first folding screen that I physically held in my hand. But then after that kind of wears off, some of the other things tend to stand out. Um, like you had said, um, for the razor specifically, one of the things that I noticed was just responsiveness, which I, I mean, I guess I, I guess I expected um, with the uh, what seven sixty five mm-hmm. Snapdragon, um, but at the same time, you know, Google's using these and the Pixel Five, right? Yep. So we see what Google did. So we kind of expected the same. I expected the same from Razer. And uh, I can't say that I actually had that experience with it. Yeah, I've, I I never really had, in, in terms of performance, it never felt like it was exceptionally uh, fast, but it never felt like it was really struggling all the time. The, the main issues I kind of had with it were their implementation of, you know, you're, you're doing something on the external information display or whatever they call it and going from that to flipping internally and your app just would not transfer correctly 
if it would come up at all or it would still be tiny or it'd be even tinier than it was before is that and boy that camera i know they worked <laughs> on it that i have never seen colors that off on any phone like in the last eight or ten years on a smartphone right yeah yeah that's but for their credit though uh motorola the the outward facing screen when it was folded um you know the first original razors had them so i'm glad obviously that they kept it but yeah. it's so much better of an implementation than what we saw samsung do with the z flip or uh yeah i think the yeah the z flip that little ticker display they had right yeah the little pill shaped um, yeah. ticker that's exactly what it is like it's yeah. good for rss feeds from 15 years ago yeah before, before it automatically times out and you can't read right. it anymore yeah so I, I, I like that, but yeah, the camera for it and just the, the way that you interacted with that screen, it had such potential for it. Mm -hmm. um, just like the Moto G4, I think, or the G3. One of them that launched oh, probably about nine, ten years ago now that uh, had the customization options. Like you could buy it from, from Motorola directly and you could pick you know your back material, your specific colors. Um, that's about the time that I recall them making all these changes with the Motorola-centric Motorola features where you had the always-on display mm -hmm. that you know didn't turn on even when you put your finger on the display. It just gave you your notifications. Like I liked that part of the, the display, but it kind of seemed like second thought that when you went to press on the screen, that front display and look at this info, um, uh, you know, your thumb would slide too far to the left or right. And it would actually just unlock it and you'd be just in your notifications and it'd be a mini version of Android. Mm -hmm. So I ended up not using that, um, as much in the short time that I spent with it. But, uh, really, I guess this is what foldable phones are, right? They're, a little bit of what we thought we wanted, but not enough of what we need out of a phone, right? So like the folding screen, just the idea of it taking up less space than what it can in full use unfolded, whether it's the vertical fold or the horizontal fold, uh, either way, they serve you know, similar purposes, um, but for different tastes. But uh, yeah, this was kind of, Slight disappointment, but I, if they're going to stick around, I'm excited to see what they would possibly do. You know, they need to put the V in there. So this needs to, the next one needs to be like the Motorola Razor V3, right? And mm -hmm. then you hit nostalgia again, and maybe they can deliver with a better chip and a little better software side of the implementation. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, I think something else Motorola tried to do with the with the 5G um, they did a lot of good work on it I think in terms of feel versus the first one the first one was like you know it's a little bit sharp it kind of digs in your hand but at least it was metal which is something I liked about it because you don't have to worry about as much if if you don't have a case on it setting it down on something or I think the back had a uh, uh, was made of plastic but it, it was a little bit more durable so you could easily open the phone and close it without the fear of you know it slipping out of your hand because it feels like a bar of soap yeah. and i i did not like that about the razor 5g because the whole thing's glass so it's it may look nice in a picture but as soon as you touch it it's getting all smudged up you drop it you have two different panels you can crack right it's it's a, a nightmare and I, I think they need to work more on that 
Yeah, and they also moved the fingerprint sensor on the the 5G that I tested yep. for it. Uh, the fingerprint sensor was on the back, kind of an awkward position to be able to hold it and unlock it when it's uh, closed just because you kind of had to hold it and to the point where it was kind of like getting ready to jump out of your hand because it was slippery. Yeah. Um, but the first one, was that on the front chin? Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, it kind of breaks the continuity of the, you know, design for it but i think i would have rather seen them stick with that um on the second one and the materials you're right though it's like you almost have to with folding phones we almost have to take a step back and what we expect out of phone materials in order to get the durability out of these devices yeah yeah so especially you know i a couple different people commented on the fact that people are kind of concerned about how foldables will hold up over time uh, mainly for the internal display. Um, but when the display itself is closed, it's going to be more protected than a normal phone would be. But you have the outside parts that are more susceptible to damage. So it just doesn't make sense to me why you would still put something like glass on the outside, especially when there's no wireless charging. Why you would put that on the outside of the phone so it's just going to get damaged just as much. So there's really no advantage besides it being smaller in your pocket and being cool. It, it's still going to break just as easily as a normal phone. Plus you have the internal display and now you have to worry about it. Just, I think that's what's turning a lot of people off. Yeah, you're right. The lack of wireless charging was disappointing uh, to me, uh, especially because how small the battery was. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, the device would get so warm when I was using it. And I, you know, you know, that's the battery just depleting because it's hammering that 765 and it got 5g going and you don't want to turn off 5g because you have 5g, right? Yeah. So you want to use, the tech that's in the phone, but the battery was dying so quick. And I appreciate fast charge. I do. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, and maybe long-term use on a phone, uh, you know, proven with batteries isn't a good thing. It's not healthy for the battery, right? But wireless charging is almost a necessity if you have a battery life that isn't necessarily up to par with some of the other even entry-level devices mm -hmm. so then that takes us to the uh, extreme opposite end uh, of the folding phones right so like i have uh in front of me a z fold 2 it is a very premium as it should be with the price tag mm -hmm. um device right so i don't see and feel uh, the same way uh and red flags uh, with this device that I do or did with the uh, Motorola side of it. Um, you know, premium materials, it's all glass, uh, metal feels, it's heavy in the hand, you know, um, it feels good, but the cost is extremely off-putting. Mm -hmm. And for the device, all the other materials are similar to the Motorola uh, Razor. Um, except for, uh, you know, the internals are, are, are bumped up to, um, at the time, the latest chip for them. Um, you know, you got an increase in RAM, you have increase in internal storage. Um, everything else is at, you know, flagship level for it. But the screen is still the same, right? The screen is still the foldable screen tech that's super delicate and has the same potential issues that the razor does um so at, at what point i guess in my justification of 
these two ends of the spectrum for the the razor to the z fold is uh where's the middle ground at what point does the screen tech improve but the actual materials uh go down to a more durable state right we see plastic backs um we get you know lighter frames yeah yeah i think the the other thing that's kind of difficult too especially with these displays is you're always going to have a little bit of a divot in it which is i I feel like on the razor it it wasn't as much of a problem because it it was kind of like three small divots and unless you had it in the light you weren't really going to notice it and you could barely feel it with your finger um but kind of like these larger like almost like uh wells like they have in the galaxy line the fold and the um uh the the larger one the flip and the fold mm-hmm. um if they can find a way to get past that or like some of these rollable displays that they've shown where it's taut enough where you don't really feel that i think that would go a long way it's just it's difficult to get into these form factors and still have that or it may just be something where everyone gets used to it i just I, a big part of the you know the razor at the time was having a screen that whole size wasn't a problem people weren't really consuming content like that but now they are and you can't really you know people have talked about well splitting up the display so you don't have that gap in the middle and you don't have to worry about as much but now you go to watch a video and you're dealing with like some of the problems you'd have on uh like the lg wing where up top you can see the video but if you have it separate on the top and the bottom it's it's not a cohesive experience it's a it's an interesting situation they'll be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the manufacturers take care of that, or if they're going to be able to create materials that still feel like glass when you fold them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're the guinea pigs now. Um, yeah. This tech is so new that uh, it's up to the market and us as end users to, I guess, really determine where it goes, which I mean, that's, that's great though. Right. I mean, it's up to us. Uh, what we buy is going to determine, you know, what tech prevails and uh you're right there's just there's so much to it that is almost it's still inaccessible to a lot of people that are looking to purchase a new phone and they are available on you know these payment plans that these carriers have where they subsidize the pricing for them but when you're subsidizing you know fifteen hundred dollars to twenty two hundred dollars that's it, it gets to it's a pretty significant impact on your bill. I mean, it's almost as much as your bill um, every month. I mean, that that's a pretty big commitment um, as opposed to, you know, looking to jump into the new released lowest end iPhone that just came out because it's $14 a month. You're talking, you know, 90 to $130 a month. Right. And then if it breaks, I don't even want to think about what you'd have to deal with the uh, replacement fees that you would have, uh, depending on what carrier that you dealt with. Yeah. Or even, you know, just the network to easily repair that. If you, you know, even if you have a a pixel, which isn't as common as, you know, a galaxy or uh, an iPhone, you know that you can go to any, you break a fix anywhere and get that thing fixed. Same with an iPhone or a galaxy. You have a wide network of places you can get your phone fixed, but, you know, God forbid you have a foldable and something goes wrong, you're stuck dealing with either the insurance carrier that you pick through, you know, your your carrier or square trade or something like that, or you send it to the manufacturer. In the meantime, you gotta source yourself another phone to use. There's no place to drop it off and get a new one right away. 
Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, especially nowadays, mailing something that costs $2,000. That's, uh, that's scary. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be on that side of it. So I, yeah, I guess we'll have to see um, really where it goes. I mean, as far as form factors go right now, there's, you know, two big winners, right? It's internal folding displays. Um, you got uh, what Xiaomi mm-hmm. um, has the external folding screen. Yeah, where they, they just I think they showed it off where it's on all four corners. Oh, the, yeah, that waterfall. Um, yeah, yeah, that that I think eighty nine degrees of of screen bend uh, yeah. on the the sides. So it's the left, right, and and top and bottom, which is, I mean, it's kind of crazy. A lot of that is uh, a little phone trickery mm-hmm. uh, or a camera trickery when it comes to phone promo shots. Though um, somebody had posted a uh, just you know the bring it into Photoshop and you know, turn up the brightness. Right. Mm-hmm. And you could see in those promo shots, uh, what they didn't show you, which was, it doesn't go over the corners. So the right. corners are, you know, the body of the phone, not screen, which, I mean, I guess maybe that, that helps in durability, right. In case you drop it, but it also helps for a case. The case can just go in the corners and it's just like, a, I don't know, like bumpers you put on your corner, of your table for your toddler. Right. you just yeah. put that on your, your phone and it might be able to protect it. But yeah, that's, that is another one that, uh, that they just started talking about. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's neat to look at just not practical since the durability of these new curve displays is just, I'm sure it's not going to be there. And then, you know, the, the price associated with it, it's going to be like the, um, Oh man, those virtue phones that were out a while ago. It's strictly yep. going to be for rich people to look rich when they walk around. <laughs> right. Yeah. The uh, yeah, the crazy thing is the innovations. I mean, I like to see that stuff. That stuff is awesome, right? Being able to see these tech companies not just bringing out, uh, you know, uh, a glass sandwich phone um, and doing some extra stuff with them, which really the flagship phones uh, of today, you know, the new releases – I guess they are kind of stepping away from the traditional, you know, cookie cutter um, phones. Like, uh, I mean, speaking of flagship phones, I mean, right, the the S21 series Mm -hmm. just launched. And, um, you know, they made a lot of decisions on this new line that they weren't 100% forthcoming on. Or I guess they didn't need to be, really. They didn't need to say that, hey, the S21 has a plastic back. Mm Mm-hmm. What does that mean to anybody, right? It doesn't mean anything at all. Um, it, it Actually, it does. It means that it, your phone is now more durable. Mm-hmm. Your phone is now 50% less likely to break a glass side. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's a pretty good statistic, right? Um, but it still has everything else, right? It still has the wireless charging. So is uh, most things that came from before. But, you know, Samsung finally dropped the uh, the – or the – expandable storage right so that was big for them um but at the same time the base model is you know 128 gigs that that's a lot of storage yeah yeah i think kind of the the only thing that i had a problem with really with samsung uh on the whole plastic back thing is all i'm all for that if you get the same functionality out of the phone 
and you don't have glass on the back of it, it's more durable. And that means it costs people less money in the long run in case they drop it. Mm-hmm. I think that's better in every case. What I don't get is they put plastic on that. They talk about, you know, it's durable. There's advantages to it. And then they put glass on the rest of their lineup. Right. So it, it makes the customer perceive it as it's a lesser material, even though if you're looking at it alone without the plus and the ultra next to it, it looks like it's a great choice. And I, yeah. I think they should work on that a little bit and maybe just go all plastic and see that there's advantages to it. There's a reason why every phone had this, you know, over a decade ago or just, you know, go full glass on everything kind of the way Apple did. Yeah. See, and I, I guess I didn't even think of it that way, but you are absolutely right. That's uh kind of mixed messages, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's a whole PR nightmare. That's, I guess what happens when you, you know, segregate your, product line um you call everything s21 but one's s21 what's one's s21 plus and one's s21 ultra well 5g is thrown in there in each one of them too but um yeah you know they're all s series phone they're all 21 series phones but each one of them is completely different when it comes to that I mean, it, it may have been kind of like what they did with uh, the previous Note series where the, the regular Note um, was really just there to push people to buy the Ultra because it, right. it wasn't really much of a Note anymore at that point. So the, the S21 as it exists now may just be there to push people to the Plus and the Ultra, which I'm assuming are, are probably selling better than the other options anyway. Yeah, Samsung uh, has said that um, their pre-orders um, were uh, more than what they ha- had originally planned for. I, I mean, obviously, they reduced their, their projected pre-order and sales amounts um, for launch because of the world that we live in right now. Um, but for that to be exceeded, I, I mean, that's pretty good. People are still looking at phones. People are still want to buy new tech. Um, that's not going to stop. If anything, I think people are a little more educated now than what they were before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a, a big thing about that, too, is a lot of people that are interested in tech and kind of follow these trends as they, as they progress and these new things come out. They're moving between phones at you know a fairly regular pace. They may not have been affected in many ways that a lot of other people were throughout last year. Because right. their jobs were in a way where they could work remotely, and it, you know, it didn't really matter much to them. So, you know, they still had that source of income. They still had that sense of joy with going through these electronics. And now, because they're stuck at home, they're like, "Well, if I'm just going to be here, I might as well spend more time, you know, focusing on some of these hobbies and uh-huh. and and getting these phones." So, I think that's that's why a lot of these companies continue to do so well, despite all these uh these things that happened last year. Right. Yeah. No. That. I agree. It's uh, it's crazy when you think about uh, how much um, you know is being impacted. Um, but at the same time, um, that impact um, goes both ways. It's really good for some, and it's absolutely terrible mm-hmm. um, for others uh, for it. And uh, the only thing I guess that we can really um, get out of it on the technology side is, uh, like you said, um, better you know understanding of what these tech companies are doing what they're working on um what they want us to know is a little more focused uh, a little more personal a little more intimate right mm-hmm. because they need to connect with us in a way that they haven't before there's not a whole lot of water cooler talk going mm-hmm. on um so yeah i mean 
I'm excited to see where it's going. Um, the, with the S21 series uh, launching, um, I got a chance to to play around the S21 Ultra. Uh, camera is absolutely ridiculous. You and I have talked about that before. Yeah. Um, I never thought how much I would use a macro camera until I got a good macro camera because uh, it's just like a whole new world of taking photos. Um, and the S21 Ultra does it a fantastic job of it. Um, so I think that macro cameras are going to be here to stay. Um, who knows what main flagship they'll show up on next, but to the S21 Ultra's credit though, it's not advertised as a macro lens. It's their, you know, optical zoom lens that they're using for it. Um, uh, and Bixby and the autofocus. I mean, there's a lot of other things that they use for it. It's not like they threw a, what a, a two megapixel monotone macro display, like you see on some of these other, uh, you know, entry phones or blue or Xiaomi, some of these, some of these crazy phones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think something that's pretty nice is when, you know, Apple for the longest time kind of had the, the, you know, reigning, awards uh for smartphone cameras and then you know pixel came in galaxy started to get a lot better and there's been you know this this fierce battle to the top for a while now and i think they're all kind of at a point now where they're all really good but it's more of your preference for how you like your pictures to look rather than the quality of them now because you can take it with a pixel you can take it with galaxy you can take it with an iphone you're gonna have about the same detail in all of them it's just the color balance may be a little bit different yeah, you're right. I'm surprised that nobody has a uh, and uh, giving away a, a multi-million dollar idea right now, but uh, have filter presets right on <laughs> uh, on an application where you can say, "I want this to look like it came from a Pixel phone. I want yeah. this to look like it came from a Samsung. I want this to look like it came from an Apple device." Because you're right, absolutely correct. White balance, uh, saturation, uh, just general color profiles are completely different from all of them. And they all can look fantastic and they all can look terrible. Yeah. Um, just really depends on what your preference is for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. There's, there's not a whole lot separating many flagships anymore. Just the extra little features on top of it and, uh, and what they're doing with software. And uh, well, speaking of that, uh, the Android 12 redesign. That news uh, hit a few days ago, and uh, I know that you have some opinions on it, and uh, so do I. Um, if they are indeed true, I would hope we're seeing a very focused, uh, I don't know, um, customized, themed version of it um, on purpose to maybe showcase features, and that's not as simplified as what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, you know we we were talking about it the other day, but it's it's very think I think what I said the other day was it it's in the opposite direction that I think Google needs to go with how their OS looks, especially yeah. if they're going to be you know pushing forward Android as a whole. It's just it's not very innovative. It doesn't look very different from other skins that you can pick up, or even just you know a skin or a theme that you can add to a Galaxy. It, it's very iterative, and I think if they're really going to start pushing things forward for their platform and for how people interact with their phones, 
they need to have a major change, kind of like when uh, Honeycomb came out. And they're so drastically different from everything that we saw before. And then, you know, with yeah. uh, uh, Ice Cream Sandwich and, you know, Jelly Bean and all that, they were big changes. But since then, it's been pretty much stale and very similar. And this doesn't seem to be changing that mold much. No, it doesn't. It, it kind of feels like they're cherry picking a little bit from other uh, Android phone manufacturers skins that they're already sitting on top of, you know, Android 11, Android 10. Um, I, I see in these pictures, you know, a lot of uh, the OnePlus um, uh, interface. I see a lot of the Samsung One UI, right? Especially the 3.0 update. Like you see a lot of that stuff. A lot of it's eye candy. Um, but OnePlus and Samsung, to their credit, though, they've been getting really good at giving you a updated and refreshed look without some of the other crazy, unnecessary options and customization levels. Like it used to be crazy for the amount of options that you would jump you'd open the settings menu in samsung and before what android i think android 10 had the contextual setting search like before that it was next to impossible to find out what you wanted to do it was a google search right you had to pull up google in order to figure out how to make an adjustment to your navigation bar to swap your back button and your your multi-view button yeah so Things things are looking better um, uh, now just across the board, but this definitely does, and I agree with you, a step back is what it looks like from Google. It's more of a, we can do this too, but I don't think we need that. They don't need that. No, and it, I mean, I, I can't even... I can't even see it as being like a, a theme that they developed to tie in with maybe like a colorway of a new pixel. Maybe just mm-hmm. to kind of show off how it, it can more closely integrate, but even that, you know, that's been done by other companies before. Um, you know, when you have your colors so similar in your interface to how your phone looks, everything just kind of blends together. It just seems kind of uh, like a bland mess of yeah. an OS, rather than something that's you know fun to get around and move through and intuitive. Um, and it. it I think Google's been trying to play it a little bit more conservative lately too, because they turned off some people with more drastic UI changes that they've done over the years. Um, but it kind of pushed towards something that was cleaner in the end. And I think they kind of need to move towards that again. Uh, for example, like, you know, Microsoft, when they came out with windows eight, it was so crazy different from everything else. Then yes. they kind of worked on a little bit more with 8.1. Then they kind of came to 10, but we wouldn't have, the interface that we have with 10, a lot of the benefits of the interface that's in 10 now and the updates that have followed since its original release, unless they made that big first step and learned from it and heard from people. Yeah. And I think Google needs to try that out again. Yeah, agreed. It's We'll see where it goes. This could be very early in the conceptual stage for them. Um, could just be an internal screenshot of what they think can be possible with their theming engine, which I mean, they've been adding that mm-hmm. into the pixel phones. Uh, yeah, just the one, I think pixel drop um, was a lot of nothing. And then the, the theming options increased. Right. So I don't know. Let's, let's hope for that. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we should be hearing something. Um, 
the I don't think maybe I missed the announcement of uh, Google I.O. Um, I don't believe I did um, or anything. But once they they should be announcing that um, shortly and then, you know, normally on that day is when we start to see the beta uh, for the new version. So, yeah, it won't be that long. And hopefully we get a, maybe a look at some new phones. Maybe they did what they did uh, with the Pixel 4, kind of start to leak it out a little bit early. Right. That'd be nice. And if the Pixels can look unique again, that would be great, rather than just being a slab with a camera bomb thrown on the back like everything else now. Yeah. Yeah, true. This is a, an interesting time, like I said, when it comes to hardware design. They do something else. I'm fine with as long as they don't bring back the bathtub notch um, and the infuriating offset screen for the uh, the infrared sensors at the at the top of it that just turned my Pixel Four sideways mm-hmm. to watch a video. It that just that forehead just stares at you <laughs> because you know that one side of the bezel is a a lot bigger than what the other side is. And, and I mean, Android phones are notorious for that to begin with that, you know, they're the bottom chin is always bigger than any of the others um, that I've seen. I haven't seen any that have been about the same size, uh, but Google kind of flipped that all on its head when they said, you know what? Our forehead is going to be like four times the size of the rest of our bezels. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it was disappointing too, because like the Pixel 3 XL, when it came out, I I ignored it pretty much completely because I took a look at that notch and said, no, I'm good. <laughs> and then the 4 came around, and I was I was excited about it. I was like, okay, so they're moving into to face unlock all in, kind of like what Apple was doing. So I was like, you know, maybe this is the start of some cool things to come. And then they had Soli in it or uh, or whatever they, the full name of it was, Motion Sense or something. Yeah, um, That was... Uh, that, that was disappointing for me because I went with a normal Pixel 4 and I have never had battery life that bad on any phone. Yeah. That It was miserable on top of the fact that face unlock wasn't backwards compatible with fingerprint unlock on any oh. of the apps that I used. And then they just drop it. And they're like, all right, yeah, never mind. Huh, sorry. Uh, let's go back to yeah, these normal right. looking phones with the fingerprint sensor. Yeah, just kidding. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean the ideas were awesome for it, and you're you're right. That was that was the worst. The worst thing was setting up, being excited about you know a face ID or you know a, a face unlock um, on an Android device, which some other companies have done it, but you know nobody was using uh, anything more than just uh, photographs, right? It, it was just um, very easily tricked. And then Google says, okay, you know, we'll do it too, uh, but we're going to do it with an IR blaster. So they do it, and it do- you're right, it doesn't work with anything else. It's like it worked so well too. I mean, it was quick, and it worked. on. And as people started coming out with new and new, um, you know, updates, developers started adding the support in. And then I think they baked it into 11 when it launched, I'm pretty sure. Um, but... Um, or a midstream update for 10. But either way, it was too far gone and they already abandoned the tech. They already realized that, you know, people don't like it, but people don't like it because it was poorly executed. So again, hopefully that doesn't happen with uh, this whole software refresh idea. But uh, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll see in the in the coming weeks. Um, I, I just pulled up an article and looked, and it's speculated for May for Google I.O. So, okay. again, not that far from now. So we should have some kind of answer here soon on uh, on their, their big ideas for Android 12. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, that'll It'll be interesting to see what the final release looks like and then maybe some of the, uh, the hardware that's going to be supporting it uh, leading up. Or if, um, you know, I've, I've even seen some people talk about maybe almost a resurrection of the Nexus program, which kind of turned into Android 1 now. Yeah. Uh, but that would be interesting. Kind of like, you know, the, the Google Play editions that they had of the, I think it was the S4 and the 1M7. Those were neat. And it would be nice to see that again on some new phones if they decided to do that. But it's probably a long shot. Well, yeah, it might not be as long of a shot as what you think is they're pretty close with Samsung right now on uh, some of these. Well, I mean, look how far they've went to, uh, or Samsung that is, um, this year on the S21 series. Uh, Google is, you know, you can swipe right, left, one or the other on your home screen, and you can get to your Google feed now. Yeah. Um, It's a secondary option. Like it's not by default. You have to tell it that you want to use Google, but it's there and it works just like a Pixel phone. So, yeah, yeah, and that, that's always something I really appreciated about the Pixel line being able to do that. And I think there was eventually updates to do that, like even on way back on like the the HTC One series to do that instead right. of uh, uh, Blink Feed. I think is right. what they called it at the time. Yeah, yeah it's just Google kind of is dominating in that area. It's just more relevant content to you, and it's quicker pull it up than the other options that are out there yeah not to stray too far down the path but i think i, I used lawn chair as my home launcher and lawn chair had an integration um, to be able to get your google feed um, pulled in at one point it required root um, but it was definitely nice to have that feature on other phones so it's nice to see an actual manufacturer giving you the option and not having to go you know a roundabout way to do it yourself yeah yeah it's definitely welcome all right, so why don't we talk hardware, right? So GPUs, kind of crazy right now. Um, I know uh, you were able to get your hands on an AMD, uh, what, 6800, right? Yep, that's right. And um, I was finally just last week able to get my hands on the RTX 3080, um, which I've been trying for, well, since they announced them. I get my hands on one and finally uh, was able to, um, and not from a scalper, thankfully. Um, but the shortage is real. Um, and it's really bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, you and I are in different parts of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So we still see the same exact pattern though. Right. So up here, it's kind of crazy that, uh, you know, you're seeing the same thing States away. I just, part of me has to wonder what if this isn't manufactured a little bit. Um, I know with the uh, Lunar New Year, I know with some of the chip shortages, but come on, if you have something hot that you want to sell, you can build so much buzz by not releasing as much as what you need to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I've been going back and forth about this because we've seen shortages that were similar to this in the past. Um, but they, they cleared up a whole lot quicker. Uh, for example, like when the GTX 970 came out, 
is huge to have that much performance. I think also kind of what the at the thirty sixty is coming out at now at three twenty nine. It's either that or three forty nine, and an incredible amount of performance at a low price that was much more available to a wider market of people than the previous like seventy series was. Um, and I feel like it only took a few months for them to figure that out. And then you could pretty much get it anywhere you wanted. Uh, mm. The RX 480 from AMD, when they kind of came out with that, was I think 199 or 249 or something like that for a really good amount of performance. Um, I think at the time they were pitching against the 1080 wow. where you could get two RX 480s and it would be cheaper than a 1080. Um, and you'd, you'd have better performance in the end. That had a significant delay. I, I remember it being six months later, and you still could not get your hands on one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, graphics was still moving kind of slow at the time. AMD didn't really have any great uh, cards to go up against what NVIDIA had at the time. So it was really this lower end and mid-range that they were working in. But this 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 feels like it's gone on a bit too long. I, I'm sure they knew that demand would be insane when this stuff came out to, mm-hmm. you know, have, especially for like the 3070 for 499, having the same performance right. as something that was trending at 1299 for so long. Yeah. yeah there's something's up. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, that's, I think we both agree that it shouldn't be this way. Um, I mean, it's such, it's awesome to see tech be, it's awesome to see $1,200 technology in a year and a half since it was introduced um, go down to $399 and you get the same performance. And at the same time, it still supports the new stuff that the 30 series brings in with you know the green screening and the sound compression mm-hmm. and all these other um, uh, things that the, the RTX uh, 30 series brings in. Um, it just, it sucks that nobody can get their hands on them. Um, it's like you tell somebody that you got a hold of one. It's like uh, you won the lottery. Right. And, uh, at the same time you have to explain that you spent, you know, like in my case, I mean, I spent a month and a half every single day, multiple times a day looking to try to get my hands on one. Um, and it wasn't in a big box store that I ended up getting one from, uh, it was on a, a marketplace that I ended up getting one from, but still it's. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, my 6,800, I, I really wanted to get on board for a 3080. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting all ready. It's doing what everybody said, make sure I got my credit card information and all the different sites that I'm going to try to buy this on, on launch day, get everything put together, go through the, you know, pseudo checkout process with some other things on these websites, just to, so I can get my fingers in the right spots and buy everything. As soon as 3080 order is open, it's gone. It's it. Yep. It wasn't even available. Uh, same thing with, you know, 3070 orders immediately gone. 3090 orders is like immediately gone. But with the 6800, I figured, you know, I'd, I'd give this a try, see if I can get anything. That was, uh, it. orders opened up, I think it was like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. or something like that. And it was about 15 minutes of having my Chromebook open and my phone my phone was on LTE. My Chromebook was on Wi-Fi, and it was constantly bouncing between the two to try to get through this checkout process on AMD's website because it, Amazon it said that these items were available and they just were not. You'd add them to the cart, you go through checkout, and said it was unavailable. It's finally able to get through AMD Direct, and it showed up about a week later. 
I remember after I got the order in, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I finally got this in. And it took me a minute to realize, like, I should not be excited about the fact <laughs> that I spent 15 minutes frantically refreshing to try to spend, you know, $579 plus tax on something. The, there's no way this should be this difficult, especially since AMD's marketing team made a point of saying this is not going to be paper launch. Right. You yes. guys are going to be able to get your cards no problem. And it's the same crap that happened with NVIDIA, but worse, since yep. you still can't get a new RX 6000 card. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, but those, uh, uh, you know, to take uh, uh, a slogan there from uh, Geico, those 15 minutes did save you $500, though, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Scalper would have definitely got you for at least twice that. Oh, man. Yeah, and that's that. That's kind of a, it's a good thing and a bad thing in a way, too. Being able to get in on this, buy these cards, the tariffs kicked in, so they're a lot more expensive to get if you can get one. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm used to upgrading pretty often with my machines or just, even if it's not an upgrade, just trying something different from, you know, team green or team red or something from Intel or whatever. But at this point, if I sold my stuff without scalping, which I wouldn't do, I wouldn't even be able to get a comparable system. Mm -hmm. So I just have to hold on to it for who knows how long. Yeah. Well, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Some people no. can't get any. So. Right. It's uh yeah I like I said I'm thankful that I was able to grab one um, I'm floored by the performance um, I hate the fact that the RTX thirty um, and you can't quote me on this because I'm not sure without looking it up here but I'm pretty sure it's the seventy eighty and ninety all require three eight pin connectors so you know it wasn't just me pulling my old card and putting the new one in I had to run another modular cable to get another eight pin yeah into it which sucks um but yeah i mean i guess we'll see what happens in the next couple months if they're able to actually bring them into some kind of primary production line or some facility that's going to be able to actually churn out the numbers that they need for it you know after the uh, the chip shortage um goes away which i mean it really never goes away uh, yes. especially since last year but yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yep. Yeah. It's still pretty constrained. I mean, you see more people getting these, these uh, more often not processors than a graphics card. And, right. um, but you know, I placed my order for a 5,600 X in December or January and I'm still waiting for it to come in. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I actually, I saw on a marketplace, somebody selling, um, they were selling a 5700 X mm -hmm. because they couldn't get a supported motherboard that they wanted, um, with uh, PCI gen four with enough PCI gen four slots that they wanted for whatever particular project they had. Um, but more or less, uh, you know, saying somebody else buy this from me because I'm done with AMD. Um, but you really don't win if you go the opposite way either. You go over to Intel and I mean, look at the 11th gen stuff um, that Intel is talking about and, and the changes to their, their chip tech. Mm. Um, well, lack of changes, I guess, really um, to their, their chip tech that they have, um, which they have not blamed any of uh, their, you know, new direction 
on uh, chip shortage or anything, really. Um, they're just kind of taking the lazy way out, I guess. Mm. Um, but hardware is an interesting place right now when it comes to PCs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting time. I just hope it doesn't lead to prices being jacked up so hard uh, on everything and shortages being you know, ongoing for so long. Although it is, it's, it's very funny. The fact now that for so long, you know, the PC mass race community and, and myself who just likes building computers, I'd always recommend to somebody to build your own computer. Cause you could probably do it cheaper, even if it, you know, you're only saving a little bit of money. Um, and plus it's more fun. Now there's no fun to be had. You can't buy nope. the parts and you got to go with the pre-built and pre-builds are getting even better. So it's just it's such an odd time where now I'm recommending people like, yeah, go ahead and get a pre-built because right. that's that's your only option for PC gaming right now. Yeah. I, last week, uh, there was an article on pre-builds um, that I had read uh, come across Twitter uh, just saying, you know, if you want a RTX 30 series, buy this pre-built. It's just it's so funny to think that in some cases, buying a pre-built with these new chips in them, be it uh, processor or GPU, um, is almost cheaper in some cases than buying what you want from a scalper. It's just, it's a crazy time. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, So, well, speaking of crazy time, there's Apple news, right? So, you know, Apple, lots of stuff uh, that nobody has any idea what's going on, but lots of stuff to talk about Apple, right? So, I mean, the VR headset news, um, that's kind of, it's all hearsay, all rumors based on rumors based on rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like you and I had talked about before, we're just going to wait to see how that pans out because I don't see or hear anything concrete coming out of that. Uh, I think they're still a ways off before they actually say, hey, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we know that they are going to do is, uh, you know, a new MacBook Pro line, right? Um, hardware refreshes. Um you know, the, the internal rumblings, um, that have come out are the, uh, inclusion of new ports, ports that people want full size USB ports, full size SD card slots. Uh, of course it'll be, you know, bigger and better than what it was before and bar- brought back for a specific reason. It'll be tied into something to do with the, um, you know, the M series, which is, which is great. The M series, uh, uh, the M one series processors are, fantastic i mean uh i have uh, a macbook uh air with an m1 in it you also have the macbook air with an m1 in it correct yep and uh and both of us actually have the base model macbook uh air m1 so uh the eight gigs with the seven cores instead of the eight cores Mm -hmm. um for it and it does absolutely everything that i needed to do and i really think this is what Apple's going to be focused on, focused on selling, you know, more of what M1 means for their hardware and then bringing back some of the other features that they're going to kind of put on Intel that we didn't have these because the the way that we had to build the machines, it wasn't viable, right? They'll say battery life or they'll say 
there'll be something, right? And now that they're able to do it, they're going to be able to include them in, which, you know, whatever excuse it needs to be, even if it's just PR, I'm fine with because they could put this M1 in a toaster and I would buy the toaster because I know it would be able to do exactly what I needed it to without me asking a question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, they are, it is a huge moment, I think, for Apple and just the industry as a whole for what they're doing. I think they're going to continue bringing out these chips for their higher end products. And we're going to see more of the same where it just blows everything else out of the water Mm. uh, for the form factor it's in. And even for desktop, when you compare it Um, and it's really going to drive these companies uh, a lot harder to bring their performance up to parity. And I think it, it makes an interesting um, it's going to be interesting to see how X86 continues moving forward. And if that's going to be viable to continue to hit these performance numbers that Apple's able to achieve with uh, ARM natively and even with their with uh, their translation, it's still very impressive. Um, so, you know, AMD's having their moment right now with how they're lapping Intel. Uh, but if Intel or if A- I'm sorry, Apple continues to bring these performance games along with M1 and ARM, I wonder at what point x86 just can't keep up. And there's right. going to be more of a larger shift over to ARM processors. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Apple was, they were pretty boisterous about what the M1 chip can do. And, you know, they threw up some controversial graphs when yeah. it came to comparison. But Apple right now is the quiet kid at lunch sitting in the corner um, and watching everybody else, you know, have the food fight. Um, Apple's chips are, I mean, they're impressive. I mean, whether you're an Apple fan or a MacBook fan at all, if you use an M1 processor based machine or you get it as a new machine, uh, you're going to feel what you used to, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you're not, a, when you get a new computer, right? It's you immediately see that impact for it. Right now you go from an, uh, ninth gen chip, Intel chip to a 10th gen, uh, you know, same class, say, you know, the i7 series, right? You're really not seeing that difference and performance uh, boost for it. But I got to tell you, I mean, coming from a, an i7 uh, MacBook Pro to the M1 MacBook Air, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. I feel like I got an upgrade, but my wallet doesn't feel like I had to pay for the upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it definitely makes it, uh, I think, for a lot of tech enthusiasts, it makes it so you don't feel like you have to spend so much money to really get the product you want out the gate. You can right. spend the same money everybody else is just to get a basic computer and you still get to experience all the benefits of the new platform. Right. Which is completely un-Apple-like, to be honest, right? Yeah. So that is, Apple doesn't want to be categorized as, as that company, right? That company where you spend less and you get more. It's always been you pay more and you get more. Yeah. Um, but this, yeah, it's just, it's, it's nuts to see um, all the sides of Apple and, and, and what they're doing right now. I'm excited for um, either this refresh, whatever they do with it. I really don't care I, if it has an M1X or an M1 Pro, whatever they call the new chip for the MacBook Pro. You know, I, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do GPU wise because Apple has been heavily reliant on AMD for their uh, discrete cards in their Pro series. Uh, the 15 inch, uh, well, 16 now pro series. Um, but 
they kind of don't have that limitation anymore, right? They don't have to worry about not working with NVIDIA because of a spat that was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, they don't have to worry about working with AMD and being limited to what they have available, even though right now AMD's mobile GPUs are pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go native and they go native. I mean, that's the best scenario, right? If they control it, as much as some people don't like that, they control it, they can squeeze every ounce of performance out of it. And we benefit as the end user. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I, I think will be interesting in regards to graphics with uh, Apple is they've been doing their own in-house chips for a while now. Uh, but I think it was last year uh, that they came up with a licensing agreement with uh, Imagination uh, for their Power VR chips because um, they kind of went back and forth on that. Imagination was in a rough way because Apple was their largest customer. I think mm. they accounted for over 50% of the revenue. So they sold off some subsidiaries and all that to keep moving on. Now they got this licensing agreement in place. When it ends, I wonder if Apple will have progressed far enough where they don't need that anymore or if this is kind of their only way to develop their own chips and be competitive with everybody else through this agreement for right. graphics. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. So um, uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. I think it's still ways away. Uh, I think there's at least a couple of years left on that agreement. Um, but, you know, I think it'll come up sooner than we think. And either they'll renew it, we'll continue to see more of the same. Um, or uh, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, as long as what you want to work uh, isn't specific to one platform, lots of opportunities are opening up, especially cloud-based. I mean, things that are cloud-based are, are just opening up. There's there's no platform. You can be platform agnostic now um, for in most cases um, for it. But Yeah, yeah. nowadays it's kind of hard to, you know, for a long time people would say, oh, like, you know, you have a Chromebook or why do you need one of those? Why right. would you spend money on that if you can get a Windows PC? But if all you're doing is things on the web, if all your applications are web-based, you're likely to have a better experience at $500, at $300, at $200 with a Chromebook all day than yeah. you would have with a Windows PC. It's, it's going to be a more responsive experience. You can still access everything you need. You're not really going to need to install any local applications in that situation. So it's uh, now people can more focus on the device that makes them more comfortable, that they like being around more often than the thing that does what they need. Agreed. Yeah, it's again. I can't say it enough. Technology is in an awesome place right now. And uh, I mean, speaking of places, uh, working from home, right? It's been a big thing for a lot of people that would have never worked from home, and uh, software companies uh, kind of taking advantage of it. I, not in a bad way. I don't mean that in a bad way. They're taking advantage of it, about pushing the limits, seeing what they can do now that they weren't able to do before. Um, and I'm talking about uh, Microsoft Viva, right? It, it's, I got to be honest, I saw it, I watched it, I struggled through the ad, the promo for it. I mean, it's all targeted. They show you exactly what you want to see, but you know, I got SharePoint 3.0 out of it, um, which I don't want to see. I cannot stand SharePoint. <laughs> SharePoint is a solution um, that is always used as, uh, you know, the backbone of an intranet. 
uh, in the enterprise environment. Um, it is in theory a great idea, but it usually never pans out that way because it's let's make it like Facebook or let's have an RSS feed or let's do things that this isn't good at. And then it just doesn't work. And I mean, as long as those practices don't come into teams with Microsoft Viva, I mean, it really kind of looks like initially I got the gut feeling of it being SharePoint. And then the more I got to looking at it and doing some research, um, I started kind of feeling more like this is aimed towards new people joining a firm that are working from home. Um, you know, digital well-being. Um, you, know, you know, this is where you go. Uh, and mind you, like all of this, uh, uh, for those that don't know, um, all of this is within Teams, right? So they're using Teams as their soapbox, as their platform, um, which they should be. Uh, a, a lot of people are using it. Teams has absolutely taken over the marketplace um, when it comes to uh, business uh, oriented uh, chat applications. Um, and uh, not just that, and uh, even video conferencing, right? Um, but all of this is within Teams, but it's like this, this central location where um, you can get your, your training, um, you can get the uh, specific, uh, maybe title-based um, uh, information or news that your company wants to provide to you. Um, you get your uh, kind of your org charts or your uh, go-to people. Um, for it. And then like, like I said, the well-being side of it is pretty huge. I mean, if you're working from home as your first job and you kind of don't know how to work from home, right? Nobody knows how to work from home. Nobody knew how to work from home. It was always a hybrid thing. Um, there were some people and some companies and I, I'm not trying to sell the short, but there was a lot of people that were working from home, but in a much different manner than what's expected of us right now. I just, I mean, you see it and I see it um, and we both kind of see it differently on how the, the work from home is going. Like in the enterprise environment, like I'm seeing, you know, come back into the office. We need you back in the office because um, that's when, it, you know, the thought is most people are um, the most productive, you know, when they're back in the office. But uh, really, it can just come down to tools are the right tools in place. And Microsoft is kind of trying to do this to kind of get that mentality adjusted by, you know, making you look at a very focused pane of glass, which is teams with all this well-being stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think for larger companies, this can, could definitely take off if there was enough uh, executive buy-in on it. Um, so kind of from the top down, this was seen as, you know, part of the culture of the company and the way employees interact with one another. Um, I think with that, it could be successful. Um, but at least with the majority of the customers that I deal with, with my MSP, I, they, I think it would mostly be not, it, it, would, it wouldn't be as much of an upgrade to their team's experience as uh, it would for a larger company. Um, so, you know, for learning, I can see for some specialized courses, uh, for especially like internal applications, I can see that being useful for some smaller companies that still rely on that stuff. Uh, but, you know, insights it wouldn't be crazy important if you're staring at your all your coworkers within, you know, 12 feet. Yeah. You probably don't need to know when they're going to be available next. You can just ask them. Um, and uh, 
Now, when you're working from home in these situations, it might help a little bit. Um, but with smaller teams, I just feel like everyone's kind of more in sync anyway. Um, right. So it doesn't become as, uh, as useful. Um, and with some larger companies too, with like the, the Viva Topics thing. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Right? I, I'm sorry, not Viva Topics, Viva Connections. Um, so the internet part of it is, is uh, you know, I can see that being useful. The company feed though, where there's more of the social aspect on it, so much of the time when I've been in that situation, it feels more forced right. by yeah. HR to say, interact yeah. with people and like this and talk about like social media. You got to get to your post quota, right? You know, yeah. is it my Wednesday to post this on our internet? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. And plus, you know, there, there's the other side of it. You'll be told, you know, it's an open space for our employees to talk to one another. And, you know, it's just treated like you would anything else. But you really can't because it's, it's for work. So, you mm -hmm. know, if you're, you can't BS with somebody on internet like you could on twitter or on facebook or you know on discord or whatever it may be so it, it kind of holds back that same level of you know openness and community with inside of an organization um but i guess we'll, we'll have to see more use cases of this I, I definitely like for them to show off like how it can help small businesses and small connected teams um and uh how this would work out in hybrid environments how you can kind of tune it to um, better serve those situations. Right. Yeah. Well, Microsoft's introducing it. They spent a lot of money on this promotional aspect of it. Um, it's here to stay whether we like it or not. Um, so in a Microsoft way, they will make sure that we like it by adding features that we request, which we're really good at. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, the Teams is completely different than what it was um, when it first launched, right? There's so many features that Teams has now that I can't imagine not having, but I didn't have. Um, so, yeah, I, we'll see where it goes. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath that I'm going to be excited to use this. Um, so... Yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, so Ben, how about the MSP side? Uh, anything exciting going on you want to talk about? Uh, there's nothing really crazy new. Um, the, the things that have been happening more recently, at least on like the networking side of the space, uh, Ubiquity uh, has been in a hot spot with the MSP industry and even internal IT departments. Um, they've been making a lot more changes to their product line and their software lately, uh, and even walking back on some of them oddly, but it's, it's not a good look for the company. Um, for example, with a, a recent cloud key update, they took away this ability to have multi-site, uh, which the cloud key may not always be the best choice for that, but it kind of depends. You could, you know, have multiple buildings on, uh, a campus or something like that may not have a ton of users or a ton of devices, but it's spread out. Being able to manage those as separate sites, depending on if they have separate users or whatever it may be, um, would be useful. And they're basically just taken away for no reason. Uh, you know, there's other things too, like uh, Unify 6 that was coming out from 5.6, I believe it was, um, was a big change. And, you know, they're talking about UI improvements with everything. That's the biggest thing that you're going to see through it. Uh, but it's more than just UI improvements. Uh, they changed a lot of things around, like VLANs. 
uh, and how you set those up. And now there's a group structure to it. And you apply it towards certain things. Uh, and even like VLANs that are inside of SSIDs or having a passwordless SSID. A lot of these features and, you know, some some of the ease of use that you had in, you know, 5.x, they completely removed in 6.x and had no plans on bringing those back, um, which is very inconvenient for people that had an automatic update schedule to just log into it one day and know that everything as it was before works, but you can't replicate a lot of those configs moving forward. Um, you know, and it it's, there's other things that have happened with Ubiquity, you know, the, the discontinuation of Unified Video after continued promises uh, that it was going to stick around, they're going to support the platform on things that even weren't uh, Unify uh, hardware uh, for the controller. Um, uh, plus, they're making changes to their uh, ISP uh, line, uh, which has been kind of the edge device, um, but they've been used internally as well. Um, they, uh, they're kind of going in a different direction with that with UCRM. It's just, um, it seems like they're taking a lot of features away to maybe integrate into something bigger later on. Yeah, but they I, have I was, nothing to show off right now. Right, I was going to say it sounds like there's something bigger in mind, right? It sounds like you know we're sorry that you don't have these, but you'll figure out a way around it. And then a few months later, oh, by the way, check out this new add-in. Check out this new product. Um, you know, you're welcome to it. Uh, it's going to cost extra money. Yeah, I just. I really don't know what they think they're going to be able to pull out of this, you know, because Ubiquity hasn't really been a company that's introduced anything revolutionary in a sense. They've just mm -hmm. taken existing technologies, you know, made it look like an Apple product and made it cheap. Right. Yeah, made it better, uh, made it more accessible. Yeah, but there's nothing that stands out about Ubiquity about their offering that nobody else can do. Right. So by taking away these features and alienating their customer base, I don't see the, the end result for them because I don't no. think especially since there's no long-term contracts or agreements or anything like that. And even when they did have that option for support, you could buy support from Ubiquity. So you could call them if you had an issue, you could have advanced replacement and all that. They just removed the program. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. gone and you yeah. can't call anybody. So it's, eh, I don't understand which direction they're going in because the, the customer base that's left now, since there's no long-term customers, nobody's locked in with support or anything with them they can go to anything else that they want to. So they, there's a lot of different options out now, like Aruba Instant on Cambium Networks, you know, has been doing pretty well, taking customers away from Ubiquity. Um, and as much as it pains me to say, even Netgear yeah. in some right. options. Yeah, no, you're right. This, this will open the door for somebody else to say, hey, by the way, we know you really like this stuff. Guess what? You know, we have it too. Yeah. Or we just added this. Um, you know, come check us out. And really, that's all it needs for there to be a big shift in customer base. Um, hopefully, it doesn't happen. I like Ubiquity. Uh, I, I I like them for the reason why you had said. I like the simplicity that they provide with their tools, right? I like the fact that, um, you know, level one support uh, can potentially solve things that otherwise your level three, your net admin would need to be involved in. Like, I like that side of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see who steps up because somebody is bound to take this opportunity and good for them. Uh, the more that are offering similar features, the more competitive pricing we can get. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, kind of on the competition side, consolidation of vendors in the MSP industry has is, is been um, a little bit alarming for some, um, especially since, you know, a lot of these choices that we had before are all basically the same company even if they're not directly owned by one another it may be the same private equity firm that's buying them up um for example barracuda connectwise solar winds and sofa yep. they're all tom of bravo at the end of the day mm. and although you may think you have a choice in it you may not same thing with you know data and logic monitor those are both vista equity um it's uh it's becoming a little bit more difficult and plus you know kaseya and their odd ownership in companies that they don't fully disclose has been picking up more traction. So IT Glue for the longest time was seen as, you know, a, a separate IT tool that integrated with a lot of different options. And then out of nowhere, uh, I want to say it was a couple of years ago, they're like, we're owned by Kaseya. And it's like, what? How did that happen? And then we <laughs> find out that it had happened a while ago. It just right. wasn't announced. Same thing happened with... Um, um, uh, Pulseway, which you know has uh, has more users on it now on the personal side, more brand recognition, a lot of it because of their advertising on YouTube. Um, but they have had either a full ownership or significant ownership of them. Kaseya has for some time, so it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to find a, an option that differs from the rest of the pack that isn't just secretly owned by somebody else. That's that's a crazy time for uh for msp stuff in, in general with this big shift I, I i mean even with all the big changes that uh all these companies are introducing to you know their products and their features and their lineup that kind of stuff um there's other stuff that's got to be impacting you too right i mean the whole um you know what are core hours what are work hours anymore i, I mean are you seeing any of that yeah uh i mean it is, it's not so easy just to say, you know, it's a, a straight eight to five now um, when you have customers like on an MSB agreement, uh, or I guess shifting back a bit, at least in my experience, I don't, I don't think there is a solid way forward for a general purpose MSP or, you know, full stack. Some people may say where, you know, you're handling the network, the security, the cloud products for your client uh, and, uh, you know, the workstations themselves kind of encompassing all of that together, it's getting increasingly difficult to make a good value proposition to clients where you do that on an hourly basis or a block of hours because uh, they really don't know what they're fully getting out of all that. And even if you try to put all that together for them, you you know, you, you give them uh, an overview of, you know, here's the tickets we worked on this month. Here's what we touched. Here's, you know, this and that and the other thing. They feel like they're getting nickeled and dimed because somebody's supposed to be looking out for them over time. So yeah. you uh, you put all that together in an MSP package, so it's you know easy to consume. They know I'm paying for this many devices and this and that and the other thing, um, and uh, I feel like they're getting a, a little bit more out of it. Um, but it uh, it's not as easy when you move over to the platform, even when you have set hours for your company, to say if you have a problem at you know 501 or your entire company moved remote because you know. Dan and Regina both got COVID and you got to clear out the office because it's, you know, you're not separated enough. It's hard to tell them, well, I can't help you after hours or I got to charge you extra for that now because now you're kind of shifting back to, you know, the, the 
the same way people used to do things before. It's interesting to see the pressure that this is putting on small business when it comes to this kind of support. You almost have to think, I mean, and as an MSP, um, uh, you can provide additional details, but it's like, at what point does this, is this too much to do that you just say the risk is worth the cost, right? That we, we aren't going to get, you know, a general maintenance going, but uh, if something happens, I'm going to call and I need, you know, immediate assistance to be able to get my infrastructure back online. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's, it's kind of dependent on the staff that you have, the workload that you have. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the size of the companies that you're supporting. Um, I think that if you have kind of a general tier for, you know, some larger companies that may work more hours, you could probably cover most of what you need with the, you know, the income that you're generating from that client. And then for the emergency after hour stuff, that's when you could probably separate it a bit because for companies like that, I think they could, they kind of understand there's going to be a different tier structure. Yeah, true. Uh, it's mainly for, you know, these, these smaller places under a hundred employees under, you know, two fifty or so, even in some cases, um, depending on how specialized they are or not, that that becomes a little bit more difficult. Plus there's, you know, kind of a, you know, a lot of people look past it, but there's almost a guilt factor for me about it, knowing that, you know, you, you come in, you talk to the client, you're going to take care of everything that you want and you want to do it to the best of your ability. You want to be proud of what you put in place and how you support it. Absolutely. And, you know, not being able to or worrying about, or are they going to think I'm ripping them off? And a lot of that goes into account. Um, but it's, uh, there's a lot of different ways to spin it. We could probably do a whole episode of just talking about that. But, yeah. Well, that, I mean, it sounds like a good idea here in the future because, yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. And uh, this was good. I, I, I mean, we're, you know, aiming to keep these, uh, you know, like an hour, hour and a half. Um, I think we can definitely focus um, some of these episodes here, you know, specifically on that. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of these topics we could dive a bit more into, have a bit more, you know, discussion about the speculation of where things may go because uh they're small but at the same time you could go on about them for a while i mean it's seemingly small announcements and changes in industries and product lines and stuff like that before have happened and they completely change the rest of an industry thereafter right yeah changes happen at flip of a coin Mm -hmm. um we can be talking about one thing and then the entire industry is going another direction um so yeah no this was good so um yeah, again, I, I mean, in the future, uh, we're, we want to bring you guys, you know, focused content uh, kind of like this, but spread across multiple different um, topics. Um, you know, feedback is always going to be appreciated and uh, will help us kind of fine tune things that we need to. Um, we're looking at, uh, again, between an hour, hour and a half uh, of these. Uh, we want to do them weekly um, uh, more if something crazy happens in the industry, which I am sure will probably happen and probably soon this year has been very quiet. Um, but yep. again, I mean, thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Justin. I'm Ben. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.